All right, well, this morning, as we uh, look at this nativity scene that we have, there's a bag. And there's kind of something missing right now. I mean, I see Jesus. He's the most important part. Mary. I don't know if Joseph is in there, but maybe he is. There's magi, shepherds. And there's, there's kind of something missing. Let's see here. Let's see if we can figure this out. Oh, it's hiding right behind this package. Okay, oh, there's a dragon. This is kind of a uniquely meridian, and we're going to put him about right here. All right, and we'll get to this later. This is, this is a gift. We'll get that, that a little bit later, but there's a dragon that we use sometimes. Um, and uh, the dragon comes from a crazy little book that's at the end of the New Testament called Revelation. Uh, again, we will get into that later about the dragon. But first, I want to go back to Christmas of 2004. For my family, it was a really great Christmas. Um, we had a, my sister gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And his name was Malachi, and he was the first in his generation. So Malachi was, was the one who made his grandparents, grandparents. My, my parents became Grammy and Papa. I became an uncle. Jenny became an aunt for the first time. And we had a six-week-old boy to celebrate that Christmas of 2004, and it was really good. And then the next day, things changed. The next day, there was some fussiness, and then it led to a hospital visit and a lifeline to Riley Hospital. And I just remember being there at Riley, and things were very drastic and getting there, and all of a sudden, we were in trauma. We got the news. We, we just went from this six-month-old boy who was the highlight of Christmas to hearing he's still alive and we don't know what's going to happen. And I just remember sitting there in a lobby at Riley Hospital and waiting and wondering what was going, going on. In the meantime, the TV kept blaring these images across the world in the Indian Ocean. Islands off the Indian Ocean, 14 different countries had been devastated by a tsunami. They called it the Boxer Day Tsunami of 2004, and it killed nearly 230,000 people. And I just remember sitting in that lobby, wondering what was going on and seeing these images of devastation and seeing just the terrible things that were happening just right after Christmas. Well, back to the, the dragon here. The dragon is not, in, not explicitly in Matthew's version of the Christmas story or Luke's. He's in a different nativity scene in the book of Revelation. And in the book of Revelation, he arrives just after the first nativity. That's why he's out. He's on his way, but he's a little bit late. And so uh, even though uh, Revelation is apocalyptic literature with all kinds of symbols and, and things that are difficult to understand, the story of the first nativity is actually pretty straightforward. It's, it's pretty easy to put together what, what's being alluded to with the Christmas dragon. So to pick up on that, we're going to go to Matthew 2, 1 through 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, 
Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. The Magi came because there was a light shining in the darkness and they were following it. There was a light shining in the darkness and, and they, they followed it. Now, in this story, it's interesting because they come to the one who was considered king of the Jews, Herod, to ask him about this because they believed, they knew somehow that the star was representing that the newborn king of the Jews. So they, they went to Herod, and Herod, who plays the role of the dragon, he's an agent of the dragon in this, this, uh, this story, he pretends to be interested. He pretends that he wants to know where the baby is so that he can come and worship to you. But it's just for pretend because his plan all along is to murder the child who he sees as a threat. Now it's interesting because the dragon goes through a, a few different names all throughout scripture. There's we talk about Satan or the devil or evil. And Jesus used a name too and we'll get into a few of those, but one of those is he says that the dragon is a murderer and the father of lies. So Herod did what the murderer and father of lies does. He lied. He pretended that he wanted to worship the child. And he, his real intent was murder. Now here's one of the really bad things about the dragon. And here we have kind of a comical illusion of the dragon. But the dragon is powerful. The dragon... The dragon wreaked lots of damage in this day. The dragon is powerful, but the hope that we have is there is a power greater than the dragon. And that power appeared in a dream to the Magi and appeared in a dream to Joseph and helped them escape. It led Joseph and Jesus and Mary being refugees, fleeing from Herod, the dragon, going to Egypt, and it led the Magi outfoxing Herod and going back a different route, not, not uh, telling him where they were, but just escaping. So we're going to pick up in that story. This is what happens. Uh, the Magi and Jesus and his family have just escaped Herod. And this, this happens in Matthew 2.16. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they were no more. Now, in the again, we've talked about how the dragon shows up late to the nativity scene and, and Jesus survives it. And, and if we're listening to this story, you might think, well, that's great for Jesus and his family. What about all those other families that were mourning that first Christmas? I mean, the dragon was provoked. He was trying to get Jesus and, and couldn't. And they were almost like collateral damage in the dragon's war with Jesus. Is that, is that fair? I mean, were their lives in vain? Did their lives matter? And I think that is a very fair question. Did their lives matter? matter. We don't know their names, but we know their story. And I would say that their lives matter so much 
that they are included in this story that's going to be told billions of times now, and it's, it's told over and over billions and billions of times, and they have a part in the story. Their lives speak to us still today. Their lives spoke powerfully in 2004 on Boxer Day when a tsunami came and devastated a group of people splitting up families, doing terrible damage. Their lives mattered in 2012 when there was a Sandy Hook school shooting right before Christmas and several parents mourned the senseless loss of their children, where they were mourning, they were refusing to be comforted because their children were no more. And maybe, and maybe some of that work that the dragon has done or that the grief has hit you too. Maybe it's, it's from you in the past, maybe it's you today, and if not, it probably will be you at some point in the future. But the thing that we say is they may be gone, but they are not forgotten. So you might be thinking here, great, we're talking about peace, We're supposed to be talking about peace today. That's the Advent theme. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. So why talk about a dragon? Why talk about death? Why talk about some of the the more difficult things in life? And it's because this is part of the story. Now, we are in this room here, and, and we are people who've lost daughters and sons. We've lost dads and moms. We've lost husbands and wives. We're people who have been affected, grandkids or friends. We, we know there are people in this room who have been part of that at one time or another, and maybe it's now. But we are people who know the rage of the dragon and the sorrow of death and the difficulty. All over the world today, there are people in various seasons, and we could say that Rachel is weeping for her children. That's the way it is. We live in a world where there is some darkness. And again, if it might be you or it might not be you today. But if it is you, if you feel the, the sting of death, if you feel the pain, if there's a sense of mourning or difficulty right now, we hope and pray that you're, you're comforted by these words from Jesus who said this. Blessed are those who mourn. This is in Matthew 5, 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So even if, if we're here today, if we're mourning, we can mourn with hope. We can mourn with, uh, with hope in a future, that there is a comfort that can come. Because Jesus came to bring us peace. He's the Prince of Peace. But one thing that he did not come to do is to eliminate the dragon yet. The dragon is still around. So today, death still stings. And we can mourn with hope that death and the dragon does not have the final word. And that's one of the things that we really need to remember. It does not have the power, the the final word. There are things that go wrong in this world where there is darkness. But there is a light that shines in the darkness. And we have hope that good is more powerful than evil. That love is greater than hate. And that life triumphs over death. To those of you who mourn this morning, we bring you tidings, comfort. Tidings of comfort and joy. 
Paul had this really beautiful way of saying it. And this is in 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 5. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion. Stop right there. He is the Father of compassion. You know what compassion means? Compassion. Passion, we talk about the passion of the Christ where he suffered and that's suffering, and then calm is with. So we have a God who suffers with us. So this morning, if you are here and you are suffering, we are looking to the God of compassion, the God who suffers with us. And that's one of the powerful parts of the, the Christmas story. It doesn't ignore our suffering. It doesn't ignore that there's a dragging. It doesn't ignore that we've been harmed or we've suffered or we've lost but it, it's, it's a hope that there is a God who suffers with us and a God who brings redemption and healing. He is the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. You hear that? He's the God of all comfort. Who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. Can I be candid for a moment? I don't really like this verse. There's a lot here that I don't like. Here's how I would rather say it. The God of all comfort who comforts us from our troubles. Right? I I love the song, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. I love that idea of our troubles from now on will be out of sight. Doesn't that sound great? But that's not the promise of God. (laughs) It doesn't say that he'll comfort us from trouble, that he'll keep all trouble away from us. It says that he will comfort us in all of our trouble. And I, I will just have to say this morning, I was greatly comforted by Taylor Johnson. I know his story includes some real pain at Christmas. And for him to be comforted and to be able to comfort others, it doesn't take away the sting fully yet. But how powerful of of that is to hear a man like Taylor say that there's hope and there's redemption and and healing in that. There's peace in Christ. Like how powerful is that knowing some of his story, right? And and look at this. When, When God comforts us, he uses us to comfort other people. When you're in distress, do you want somebody who's never suffered? You want to talk to somebody who's never gone through it? I don't. Anybody else? I need somebody to talk. Is that okay? Do you want to be comforted by somebody who's never gone through what you've gone through? No. Maybe just a little bit. But isn't it so much better if the person that you talk to has been through what you've been through? Who understands, who suffers with you? Not one who stands up on a podium and is unfamiliar but just has sage words of advice, but somebody who suffered with, who knows that it hurts, and who could just say, I see, I I know, I, I can only imagine how much that hurts. I'm with you. God comforts us in all our troubles. You are not alone. So I think one of the big questions is, how do we experience this comfort? How do we experience the peace of Christ? 
And I, I want to go back to the Magi. Let's look at this, this story. This is a wonderful story that we have. So we're going to go Matthew 2, 9 through 11. The Magi went on their way. This is them leaving from Herod, the dragon. And the star they had seen while it rose went ahead of them. They're still following that light that shines in the darkness. They're still following. They're drawn to that light. When it rose and went, went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Some tidings of comfort and joy. There's some joy in it. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother. Now, this is fascinating here. So we're going to pause this and just think about this wonderful story to do with just a little bit of a context. We don't know exactly where these guys are from, but it's somewhere out east. And, and right now, in this story, Israel, the land of Palestine, is being occupied by Rome. They have been, for several decades, they've been occupied by Rome. And they call this area, this, they, they call this empire, this kingdom empire, the Pax Romana. And Pax is the word for peace. So this was the peace of Rome. So the promise was anybody who submitted, anybody who surrendered to Caesar would have peace. Now that came at a sword. There was a threat. If you fought against them, you probably, you know, you might win, you might not, but you wouldn't enjoy the peace of Rome. But these guys who were probably outside of Rome's jurisdiction weren't coming because they were afraid of Rome and wanted to just to make peace with Caesar. Now Caesar had the Roman government on his shoulders, but it probably didn't cover their area. And with that government on his shoulders, he issued a decree that a census should be taken. Now these magi didn't come for the census, and they didn't come to make peace by, and and you made it by recognizing the authority of the empire, and you'd say Caesar is Lord, and we surrender to Caesar, and then, then Caesar would let you enjoy some of the benefits of Rome, which include being taxed. But these guys were not there. These guys were not looking. They didn't go and stop in a palace. They stopped in a humble house and they saw a child. Now listen to what happens next in 2.11. They came to that house, they saw the child, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, that's always kind of like, we know what gold is, the other two things are kind of like, what? But these guys, they gave what they had. Jesus said where the, the treasure is, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So there's, there's an aspect of this. These guys are bowing down, recognizing the authority of King Jesus, not Caesar is Lord, Jesus is Lord, and they're giving him their, themselves, they're giving him their treasures, they're giving him gold. They fell down to give. Dragons have a role with treasure, right? What do dragons do with treasure? They hoard it. They steal it and they hoard it, right? That's what dragons do. They steal it. They hoard it. They they protect it. And these guys, those dragons can be awfully compelling. The dragons can make these powerful promises. But these guys did the opposite. Instead of stealing and hoarding treasure, they gave their treasures. Now, in that crazy little book called Revelation we mentioned at the beginning with the dragon, there's another story, there's another image that I think fits the Magi so perfectly. 
And it's this. It's, it's actually, we're going we're gonna to open this gift up to see what it is. Because they gave a present, right? The Magi, they presented their treasures. And it was gold. But there is an image in Revelation where people fall down before the throne. And they lay at the feet of Jesus their crowns. They lay their crowns, symbolizing the authority of King Jesus, the Messiah, who has a different kind of kingdom. What is the way to peace? As human beings, we always have something that has power over us. I mean, Herod had loads of power, but the power that was over him was control. He had to control everything. He would sell out anything to the dragon. But again, the dragon has these empty promises with the intent to steal because the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus came so that we would have life. One thing the dragon cannot give is this, is peace. He can promise peace. That's one thing the dragon cannot really give. Herod never had it. Today, as we think about this, it's an invitation to be like the Magi and just to surrender. We can't control life. Sometimes darkness seems to have a a big say. Sometimes the dragon's really powerful and it makes us mourn. And that's part of life. But we can surrender to a higher power. We can surrender to King Jesus. This morning, I I just want to encourage you, like, what can we do? This Christmas season, when you sense the dragon at work, trying to steal, kill, or destroy, the thief trying to do something... Make it an invitation to surrender, to look to the Lord and say and surrender and to to worship the Lord, to, to recognize there's an authority greater than the dragon. There's something so much more powerful than what's going on around you than circumstances, but that this is in the hands of Jesus and just to lay those concerns, to cast the cares, to cast your crowns at the authority, give, give Jesus the authority and worship that he deserves. So we're going to take a moment to do that. And and in this moment, one of the things that I want to say as as we consider this, I I want to read this translation that I read this morning. It's a different take on Romans 12, but it's translated by N.T. Wright, a New Testament scholar. He wrote, he writes this, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Worship like this brings your mind into line with God's. What's more, don't let yourself be squeezed into shape dictated by the present age. And that present age will try to squeeze us in there. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you can work out what God's will is, what is good, acceptable, and complete. Word for peace, shalom, complete. Don't let yourself be squeezed into what the present age dictates. True worship brings your mind into one with God's mind. This is true and pleasing 
worship. So again, today we are invited to surrender like the Magi, surrender our lives to the heaven-born Prince of Peace. This Christmas season, when you sense the dragon is at work, again, trying to steal, kill, and destroy, take that moment to surrender. If you'd like to to do it in this moment, we're going to invite our worship team back up. But I just want to encourage you, whatever way, whatever posture you want to use for surrender, you can come up to the altar, you can go to the prayer room and stand, you can just hold your hands in a posture of surrender, whether it's up or there. But this is an opportunity to surrender, to worship, to honor Jesus and to acknowledge his authority. I invite you to to pray with me. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Today we proclaim the ancient Christmas prophecy, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. God, we look to you to be our Prince of Peace. For a world in darkness, we seek your light. Holy Spirit, stir our hearts to trust and love you so much that we will want to fall down and lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus. Amen.